Hello and welcome to the Canola Watch podcast. My name is Jay Wetter. The topic today is insect pests and the Prairie Pest Monitoring Network. With me is... My name is Megan Vankoski. I'm a field crop entomologist working with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada and I'm based out of Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. The Prairie Pest Monitoring Network gets funding from canola grower organizations and is featured in this year's Canola Digest Science Edition, which will be mailed to farmers in November and also posted at canoladigest.ca. We're going to learn a little bit about Megan, then talk about the network, including a comment about access to farmers' fields. What is your favorite insect? Oh gosh, I love this question and hate this question all at the same time. Um, I have a long-held affection for weevils. Uh, I did my master's research on the pea leaf weevil and I've done some work now with cabbage seed pod weevil and I just think weevils are very cute. Uh, They're very speciose so they're of the beetles. The weevil family I believe is the largest in terms of the number of species but weevils have generally very long noses and their antennae come off the ends of their noses and they're just so adorable. But at the same time, some of them are really terrible pests and very challenging to work with. So they're they're fun to work with, but they're also a challenge to work with, if that makes sense. Okay, I need to go back to this. Antennae off the end of their nose. I haven't noticed that in looking at the photos of the weevils before, so you'll have to describe that to me. Yeah, a number of weevils have antennae that actually extend off the very tip of that proboscis. So they're they're not up by their eyes or on the top of their head like other beetles. They're they're way down at the end of the nose. And and I just think that that adds so much character. <laughs> I think the better question to ask me often is which is your least favorite group of insects because that's a pretty easy answer. I'm not a big fan of flies as a group. I find that there there are some that are very easy to identify and pick out, but others are very similar to each other and they would be my least favorite insect group to work on. Well, that's good. I'm glad you you did your favorite and your least favorite. That's pretty cool. (laughs) Okay, I have a technical question for you. Um, Are spiders, ants, wasps, cutworms, weevils, are they all insects? No. Um, So it's a very good question as well, and one that I get asked a lot. Spiders are not part of the class Insecta. Uh, All of the others that you listed, the ants, the wasps, butterflies, weevils, they're all insects in the class Insecta. And Insecta are uh, distinguished from the other classes of arthropods by the fact that they have six legs and uh, the three main body parts, the head, the thorax, and abdomen, with the jointed exoskeleton. Spiders are arachnids, that are closely related to insects. They're in the in the arthropods as a group, but spiders are not insects. What got you interested in in science and particularly in entomology? Oh well, like most young people that did well in elementary, middle school, and high school. I thought that the best career path for me would be to be a doctor, a medical doctor. 
And after my first year at the University of Alberta in my undergrad program, and knowing a number of very smart people who also wanted to go into med school, I decided that medicine really wasn't for me. But ecology really struck a chord with me because I grew up on the farm. Um, my family raised cattle, but we also ran a sawmill. So we spent a lot of time in the bush and working with trees. And to me, the study of ecology was really just common sense. And as I went through my undergrad, I took some classes in entomology, which I thought was very interesting. And my family thought was really interesting that I liked it because I'm actually quite arachnophobic. Um, but insects, I thought, were very, very interesting. And later on in my undergrad, I met Dr. Lloyd Dosdall in a class about insect pest management. And to me, that also struck a chord growing up on a farm and in a farming community that insects were important pests. And in 2002, 2003, as I was finishing up high school, we had a large grasshopper outbreak across the prairies that I lived through on the farm. And that it just kind of spiraled from there that I realized that this was something I was interested in, something that I was actually pretty good at, and something that could turn into quite a good career in terms of work-life balance and having an impact on the industry. So it all just kind of happened by luck, I guess, but also through evolution and just learning about myself and what I liked and what I didn't like in terms of areas of study. But I've always really enjoyed science um, and the scientific approach has always made sense to me. So. Where, where was your farm, Megan? Just we'll, we'll, we'll deal with that and then we'll get on to the Prairie Pest Monitoring Network. Oh, yeah, no problem. Um, my parents still have land uh, just northwest of Edmonton uh, in the Merthorpe-Evansburg area. All right. Tell me what Prairie Pest Monitoring Network is. So the Prairie Pest Monitoring Network is a, a highly collaborative group on the prairies that was originated by Dr. Owen Olfert in the mid-90s that was basically designed to bring entomologists on the prairies together to better monitor insect pests of field crops using standardized protocols across the three prairie provinces and into the BC Peace River region. Uh, so it, it was an effort to foster community and to bring everyone together for a common goal in terms of understanding pest population dynamics and being able to bring information about pests and pest pressure. And this is all insect pests. Um, so it was to, to bring that information to the people who needed it, which are farmers and agronomists. Um, monitoring and, and knowing when insects are active is a very important part of scouting and scouting is a very important part of the decision-making process in terms of insecticide applications. Um, so really that the network itself was developed to bring these people together to work using standardized protocols so we could have comparable data across the prairies in order to understand what was happening with insect pest populations from year to year so that we could help farmers to better manage insect pests on the prairies. One of the things we encourage farmers to do is, is scouting, scouting for all kinds of things, um, diseases and pests. So, so on the one hand, 
we would like each field to get a, a close scout. You're not doing that necessarily. You're you're doing more of a, a prairie-wide view. How did the two go hand in hand? Well, that good question. Um, the way I the way I see it, and the way that the network is working, is that we're trying to capture a regional picture of what is going on because we recognize that there's no way that we could feasibly get data from every single field for every single pest that we're trying to monitor. But if we can capture a reasonable estimate of what's happening at the regional level, then we can communicate that to farmers. And if they are farming in a region where there's suddenly a very high population of grasshoppers, for example, then hopefully they can take the time and, and focus on scouting their fields that are in that region. Um, so these regional estimates are logically our, yeah, they're logistically the best way that we can get an idea of what's happening um, by actually going out to the field ourselves to collect data. How do you communicate your data to farmers? So we do this um, based using our website. Uh, so that's prairiepest.ca, or you can just Google the Prairie Pest Monitoring Network and our website should be the first option that pops up. So people can visit the website and um, we have a page with our regional forecast and, and distribution maps. So you can actually see for cabbage seed pod for weevil, for example, all of the different um, years that we've monitored it. They're all kind of on a nice carousel there. So you can scroll through and look at all of the, the maps to see how the distribution has changed over time. Um, we've got a page on our website that actually has the monitoring protocols that we use and that we encourage farmers to use so that their data is comparable to ours. Um, but we also have a subscription service. So farmers or agronomists or really anyone who comes to the website can sign up as a subscriber and then during the growing season get a weekly update, which includes um, model predictions as well about what stage different insects are at in the field at a given time during the growing season. Uh, so all of that information is, is on the website and if you subscribe then you can get kind of an even more personalized weekly account of what's happening through the, throughout the growing season. I'm glad you mentioned the protocols because that is I think an important step in proper scouting to get a, to get a number that is is useful and to cover enough territory within a field to, to make your estimates accurate. Is that the gist of the protocols? Yeah, I'm actually sitting here nodding my head as you say that. Um, people can't see me doing that, but yeah, the, the monitoring protocols are meant to help anyone who's scouting get the best possible estimate of what's happening in their field for that insect. And so in some cases, they're specific to only monitoring around the edge of the field because we know that the populations tend to be higher around, around the edges than they are in the middle of the field, for example. Um, but other protocols are more specific to trying to get samples throughout the entire field or along the ditch. Um, but yeah, those, those protocols are, are really important. Um, one, one story that comes to my mind related to protocols and the importance of following a protocol um, is that 
our protocols are related as much as possible to the economic thresholds for each of these insect pests. So the idea is that if by going out and following that protocol, then whoever is doing the scouting will get an estimate of the risk or the population density in their field that can be associated to the economic threshold to help with that decision-making process. But there are, of course, there are, well, you can scout in a number of different ways for all of these insects. And, um, and that doesn't mean that those methods are wrong, but they're not necessarily related to that economic threshold. And so to get to a story, we often hear people taking sweep net samples in canola fields and getting an awful lot of diamondback moth larvae in those samples and then being concerned that they need to spray. But the protocol for sampling diamondback moth is actually to basically pull plants in a certain area in the field and beat those plants and collect all, the lar all of the larvae off of them. So what you see in a sweep net sample is not necessarily equivalent to what's happening on the per plant or per meter square scale. And so you can't, or you should not make a decision to spray based on those sweep samples because those are not related to the economic threshold. A lot of words to say that protocols are, are very important and the protocols that are posted on our website are ones that are generally related to the economic threshold for that pest. I'm glad you mentioned Diamondback moth, you're really flowing this conversation along nicely because I want to ask you what stood out for 2022. And it seemed there were more diamondback moth larvae in canola than usual. Uh, is that a fair observation? What did you see? I think in some areas that was certainly the case. And so looking um, the the province of Saskatchewan this year, I, I know that we sent out our pheromone or yeah, so we sent out pheromone baited traps to volunteers across the prairies. And in Saskatchewan, those were the numbers of moths caught in the traps were being reported to Dr. James Tansey, who's the provincial entomologist. Um, and they were putting those on their website. And so I believe that in Saskatchewan, as an example, the the densities or the, the number of moths that we were catching on the traps was quite low throughout the start of the season. Um, but this is a species that can have many generations in a year if it's warm enough. And especially through August and early September, we had a lot of days that were over 30 degrees. So those populations were, were growing or building up quite quickly because we could have more generations than normal. So towards the end of the season, um, we were certainly seeing quite, quite a few diamondback moth larvae in fields um, because of those multiple generations and that population growth in that period of time. What else stood out in 2022 insect perspective? Well, um, I'm working through our cabbage seed pod weevil samples for Saskatchewan right now, and I haven't seen the data yet from Alberta, but I think that the, the densities have, have been similar this year to what we've seen in the last few years. Um, which basically means that we're still seeing some higher populations in south, southern Alberta and southwestern Saskatchewan. And we're seeing that the population is still spreading. Um, so I think more and more fields in Manitoba are experiencing some cabbage seed pod weevil activity. But 
in quite low densities. So pretty low risk of, of crop damage from cabbage seed pod weevil again this year uh, for a very large area of the canola production system. Um, Bertha armyworm populations were notable in that they were also very low. I think there were maybe one or two traps in trap sites in Saskatchewan that had cumulative moth counts above 600. Um, and risk really doesn't start, I believe, until we get about 900 moths in the trap over the over the six weeks. So again, yeah, Bertha armyworm populations have been low for basically since I joined Ag Canada in 2016. Um, and we've kind of been waiting for an outbreak of Bertha, but so far it hasn't happened. So those were kind of some of the big things that st um, stood out uh, as far as insects that we were monitoring. How about notable forecasts for 2023? And I know this is canola watch, but feel free to to talk about other insects. I know grasshopper is a fairly general uh, eater of crops. Um, they they may be back again in 2023. You could you could expand on that and and anything else on the list. I think that that's a very safe statement to make about grasshoppers um, in 2023, and and they can be quite voracious consumers of canola, especially around field edges. Um, we were out for the cabbage seed pod weevil survey this summer, um, kind of early July, and one of my crew went to a field, uh, a canola field that had a, a wheat field beside it. And there was already quite a significant area along the edge of the canola field that had been chewed off by the grasshoppers. So certainly, um, yeah, grasshoppers are more of a generalist, but they will eat canola for sure. Um, this year, we found that grasshopper populations were increasing as we got further and further south on our surveys. Uh, and those areas were quite warm and dry this fall. And those are perfect conditions for grasshoppers to lay eggs and for the eggs to start to develop before the overwintering period. So altogether, I think the risk of grasshoppers is probably going to be one of the big stories going into 2023. And scouting for young grasshoppers is going to be really important, especially kind of south of Regina um, and probably south of Calgary. One, one pest that, that the Prairie Pest Monitoring Network doesn't monitor are flea beetles. Why is that? I knew you would ask, and it's a great question. Flea beetles have been a challenge that entomologists have been banging their heads against on the prairies for years. Um, they can be monitored using yellow sticky carts that we can put into canola fields. And there are certain plant volatiles um, that they're attracted to that we could use as lures, similar to pheromone lures that we use for Bertha armyworm and diamondback moth. But the problem that we've generally found with flea beetles is that they're very patchy in terms of time. So they can, there'll be no flea beetles one day and then there will be millions of them in the field the next. And it's just so unpredictable when they get there. And we don't yet have a really efficient system to use to monitor them. 
So if we're using traps, we have to go back to the field. And if we're trying to put out 300 traps and 300 fields, that's an awful lot of time and work. So that's a, yeah. a lot of words, again, to say that just flea beetles are a challenge. I know that they are one species that we would really love to be able to monitor using smart traps that would basically collect or have, have something out in the field that would monitor for the flea beetles and say, send pictures back to us so that we could see what's happening and, and not have to travel, right, to get to those sites. So yeah, flea beetles are just a challenge and it's not a species that's lent itself very well to what the Prairie Pest Monitoring Network has been trying to do. No, they've been a pest of canola for as long as we've had canola and we we haven't figured out a good way to predict them. Um, exactly. So I've got a number of colleagues who are working on those questions. Um, I'm cooperating or helping out with some projects here and there wherever we can. Um, there's certainly something we'd like to learn more about. Um, we do have some models for flea beetles. Uh, so these are distribution models that we've, um, I say we, but really Owen Olfert and Ross Weiss and uh, some other entomology colleagues on the prairies have published models for the fact, describing the factors that affect um, crucifer flea beetle distribution and striped flea beetle distribution and how those might change with climate change. Uh, but still, yeah, trying to find a practical way to monitor them with any type of precision that doesn't require visiting the field every day or multiple times a day is just, yeah, has not been easy. Right. So flea beetles are, remain one of those pests that that field to field monitoring by the farm or by an agronomist that the farm hires is really the only way to go right now. That is the best approach for sure. And and even with the way that we generally work, we do try to get instant results back to farmers. So if farmers in Saskatchewan, for example, have volunteered their fields to us for us to go into, we have their contact information and we can tell them what they're find what we're finding. But some of our protocols don't really lend themselves well to, to doing that in real time. So for the cabbage seed pod weevil, for example, we're taking our 25 sweeps and then we're freezing those and we're still just going through those samples to count those weevils. Uh, so even then with some of the work that we're doing, it's not really feasible to get that information back right away or as we're collecting it. Um, and so again, even for cabbage seed pod weevil, it's really important that that farmers are going out to scout. But what we're trying to do is again, have those regional maps that we can publish at different times of the year so that people kind of know what to expect coming into the next growing season. You mentioned farmer volunteers a couple of times now. Why is that important for the program? Well, our Prairie Pest Monitoring Network relies a lot on access to private property in order to collect samples. Um, and so these are our sweep samples. They might be having traps out on the edge of the field. They might be damage assessments. So for pea leaf weevil, for example, we're counting the number of notches that the weevils leave as they're feeding on the plants in the spring. And we have to go into fields to get a lot of that information and we don't want to be breaking any laws so we need we need farmers to volunteer their properties so that we can go on to that property for a few minutes 
and collect our sample and, and leave. Um, so we, especially in Saskatchewan with chain, recent changes in the law, we're, we're really reliant on having people help us out that way. Um, some of our surveys, like the grasshopper survey, we're just taking samples in the ditches. So that's not such a big deal. But when it comes to cabbage seed pod weevil, um, pea leaf weevil, wheat midge, wheat stem sawfly, access to fields is, is really important. Um, the number of sites that we could sample would basically be, be none without volunteers. And the more fields we can sample, then the better estimate of what is happening we can give to farmers in return. Any last thoughts? Any last word you want to say about the network? Um, well, I think in, in general, we really appreciate all of the support that we get from industry and from farmers um, for the monitoring that we're doing. And it's not just a monitoring program. So we're collecting this monitoring data by going out to the field, but we're using it in so many other different ways. Um, with the cabbage seed pod weevil survey, we can look through the bycatch, for example, to see what the pollinator populations are like in those fields or what the natural enemy populations are like. Um, we work closely with colleagues at the CFIA in terms of detecting new invasive species. So by going out to the fields on a regular basis and collecting these samples, we can help to look out for new invasive pests. And it seems like there's always a new invasive pest species story in the news these days, whether that's a weed or a pathogen or an insect. Um, we use the data that we collect to develop and validate models. And we actually, because of the work that Owen started in the 90s, and that actually goes back to the 1920s for grasshoppers, we have data sets here in Western Canada that are unique in terms of the area that we've been monitoring and the number of years we've been collecting that data. So I guess that's all just to say that this is a really unique network um, we rely on so many different people and so many volunteers, and we love to be able to get out in, into the field and collect this data and help support farmers on the prairies. Thank you, Megan. To volunteer fields for insect monitoring, Manitoba farmers can email John Gavlowski, Alberta farmers can email Shelley Barkley, and Saskatchewan farmers can fill out the online form. I will include those emails and the link in the description note for this podcast. To find out more about the Prairie Pest Monitoring Network, visit prairiepest.ca. For lots on insect management and canola, check out canolawatch.org and canolaencyclopedia.ca. That's great, Megan. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Do you have any pet weevils? <laughs> they're, so, they're so cute and cuddly. They're so cute, but most of them only live about a year. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I, I make do with a dog. Canola Watch is an agronomy service from the Canola Council of Canada with support from the three prairie-based canola grower organizations, SAS Canola, Alberta Canola, and Manitoba Canola Growers. At the core of Canola Watch is a timely agronomy email with regular updates throughout the growing season on pests, weather, fertilizer management, and other topics. If you are not already subscribed, please sign up at canolawatch.org. This has been a Canola Watch podcast. My name is Jay Wetter. 
Thank you very much for listening.